With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how are you? Absolutely fabulous. What in the world could go wrong? There was sunshine today, and we don't have (laughs) snow here. Wow, this is all sounding good to me. Yeah, I figured you might. That would be a good teaser for you. It is. It is indeed. I like hearing that. Oh, my. Well, we don't have any snow either, which is kind of odd for this time of year for us here in New England, but I'm not complaining. I kind of like that. No. I'm looking at some of the things happening in the Midwest and on the east, lower eastern coast. My God. Woo. Yeah. I don't They're like. getting hammered. They, certainly they are, are getting hammered. It's, yeah, a lot of snow flying out there. So we've had another... Very strange week, I would say. <laughs> Lots of things flying around, and you just don't know where to turn. And and one of our predictors, I believe it was William Stickever, said that it would be like our heads were on a swivel, where we just didn't know where to look next. I think he was absolutely right about that, huh? Not a doubt in my mind. Not and a doubt Maria, in my mind. Yeah, now she's going to be joining us in a couple of weeks. And Maria said that we would be seeing things in this country that we thought we'd never, ever see. And she was right. So Maria is going to be coming back in a couple of weeks. And next week. Maria Shaw, right? Yeah, Yeah. Maria Shaw. She's coming back. Mm -hmm. And we are also going to be bringing in your friend, Jeff Harmon, who's also an astrologer. He's going to be talking about a chart he did on Jeffrey Epstein and, mm-hmm. of course, what we can expect for 2021. So can't wait to hear from him next week. So well, that'll be terrific. He's a Vedic astrologer, so his approach is going to be different and, and gives us the same kind of facts, but it comes out of a different direction and adds a little more balance to some of the things that we've thought about, which is always interesting to see. It's my favorite form of astrology, actually. I find Vedic astrology to be super accurate, and I love their interpretation, so I can't wait to get him on the show next week. That is going to be terrific. 
Well, when it comes to both astrologies, I, I very much enjoy them. I did work with our type of astrology, and I could still get lost in a round room, even though I've studied <laughs> it on and off over the years. That's why That's I keep funny. going back to my number simplification. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know you've been looking at the numbers to continue to advise us and and all these crazy times. So what did you find when you were looking around for what we can expect this week? Well, first, we have to remember foremost, this is a month that deals with family. Everybody wants it perfect. We're looking at things that deal with alternative, whether it be medicines or alternative ways of learning and things. But today's a day dealing with new beginnings. And I was thinking, didn't we have somebody have a talk today and a few other things ongoing that are talking about new beginnings, which I think is fabulous. But also, it's a new moon today. And the new moon is in Capricorn. So personal growth and healing rules could be broken or set up. But it is a very, very interesting time because this is a time you could write New moon wishes. Write them out, about 10. Put your ideas and thoughts down and put it aside and later pull it out and see how well your intuitive side has worked with your new moon wishes. Because when we take a look at the Capricorn aspect of things, Capricorn deals with work, work work-related issues. It deals with wanting things to be perfect in their own way, and it cre- it can create, a, well, let's put it this way, Capricorn rules business, career, and work issues. And, boy, that's really one of the topics that's everywhere. It's all over the board. And there appears to be obstacles and challenges that are going to come our way with this new moon in Capricorn. So get your ducks in a row, folks, because we're going to have a Mercury retrograde start January 30th, and it will be in effect until February 20th. So what we can get ahead of time is certainly going to be to our our betterment. There's no question about that. Yeah, well, we definitely need to take a look because Mercury makes us go, when it goes retrograde, makes us look at things, uh, go back over them more or less, right? So it's like a reevaluation. Well, it gives us opportunity to redo, review. But that's also a time when different things break down, don't work properly anything to do with electronics. And if we're taking a look at some of the things that are going on right now, have you noticed different parts of the world have been having blackouts? Now, isn't that odd? What's going on? Uh Well, I'm a little concerned about that because every, first it was uh, the Vatican and then the Middle East, and now they're talking about everybody kind of paying attention to what's going on. I don't think are we using that much more electricity now that we're not getting out in certain countries? I don't think so. Well, no, I think there is definitely something else going on. I heard there was a major blackout also in Iran and, right. uh, let's see, Germany. There was there were a number of them. Now, somebody reported also a blackout in California, but it could have been just some domestic thing, a transformer or uh, something that uh, upset the grid. But, yeah, there's a lot going on, I think, and I'm feeling this a lot behind the scenes. We're just just not going to hear about it for a little while. So that is very unsettling, but, you know. Oh, definitely. 
it makes Go you ahead. very suspect when you have so much going on at one time. Yes. I mean, there's just, again, there's a lot flying. There's people that have their own opinions about everything, and there's uh, there's a lot of, of unfortunate division and hatred that is being expressed, and that is not something that we want to support in any way whatsoever. I mean, but... No. There, there is a lot happening, that is for sure. But tonight we're going to be able to talk about something really terrific. It's one of our favorite topics, and we have a great guest. His name is John Rhodes. We're going to bring him on in just a few minutes. He is the crypto hunter. I mean, we're going to talk to John about all of his UFO research and all of his information about UFOs, alien encounters, and secret government technology. So tonight we're going to take a break from some of the madness that's flying on around us, and we're going to talk about this this terrific topic. Yeah, we love these topics. This is what we're here to do. So before we go to that, I just want to, again, ask everybody to go to our Facebook page, like and follow us there. We're also on MeWe now, so you can find us there. And we're exploring other options, too, because we're not happy about censorship of anybody. It just doesn't feel right. So we're looking into other platforms as we find them and we move to them. We'll be sure to let you know. We believe everybody should have the right to free speech. It's part of what we do in this country. So we'll see what we can find, and hopefully we'll have even better platforms where we can converse with you and continue to do what we do best, talking about the paranormal. And I do also want to share something about the Vatican that I found very interesting. I did post it on Facebook, but years ago, many years ago, (laughs) I was very blessed to meet Dr. Andrea Puharic. She's a medical doctor, and he was foremost in the paranormal world and actually worked with the U.S. Navy on secret paranormal projects beginning in 1944 with Project Penguin. And one thing that I talked to Andre about, I talked to him about a lot of things. I really loved picking his brain. He was an absolute genius. And I asked him about the prophecies that were given to the little girls at Fatima. And right. there were three prophecies, as you recall. That's how the story went anyways. And they were all taken by the church. And I mean, not your church down the street. I'm talking about the Vatican Church, the the head of everything. And they they just basically uh, released two of them in their own time. They weren't released right away. Nope, they held out on the third one. Yeah, the third they never released. So I asked Andrea, I said, what was the deal? What was the third prophecy? Do you know what it was? He said, I know what it was. It was the fall of the church, and that's why they did not release it. So if you look at what's being talked about today um, with the involvement of Rome and the Vatican and possibly involved, and it looks like it was if you read the documents with our election fraud, take a look at it. I'm not saying it's one way or another. I'm just saying do your own work, do your own investigation. But it seemed to line up quite well with what Mm -hmm. Andrea told me. So, so. Well, there was an old TV you... show called Who Do You Trust? <laughs> yeah, How apropos right. for today. Uh, well, I wish Andrew was with us because he really had the discernment. He could really look through things and just come to the bottom line. And 
really missed that man. He was an absolute delight, and it's unfortunate he passed away. But anyways, just wanted to share that story with you about what he told me about the third prophecy. So tonight, again, we are talking about some of our favorite, favorite things in the world, cryptids, reptilians, UFOs, secret government technologies, Now, who is John Rhodes? Well, he's the crypto hunter. He is one of America's most outspoken and controversial UFO researchers. We like that. He is known around the world for his pioneering work, researching reports of reptilian humanoid, reptoid contacts, and his out-of-the-box perspective regarding UFOs, alien encounters, the hollow earth, secret government technologies, and subsurface facilities. So John has been a featured speaker at national and international UFO conferences, and his research discoveries have served as platforms for the beliefs of many other notable UFO conspiracies, speakers, and authors. And he's also a professional consultant for literary and broadcast industry projects dealing with UFO-related subjects, and we are honored to have him with us tonight. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me on, Patricia. I have looked forward to it. Ah, well, we're so happy to have you here, and I know PK is happy to have you here. We've been talking about you all day. Definitely. (laughs) Most definitely, John. So let's start with how you got involved with this, because it's a very specialized aspect of this topic. How did you get started with this, John? Um, Well, since I was a kid, I've always liked to open the back of the magazines and see those little illustrations which say which one, which image is different, where is something hidden, and connect the dots. I think it all kinds of starts there, uh, as well as when I um, first went to kindergarten and I happened to see the bunny for Easter in his full six-foot form take off his head to be revealed to be the kindergarten teacher and I was running down the hallway to tell all the other kids because I had to expose expose. and one terrified mother managed to tackle me to the ground before I made it to where all the other children were and it kind of explained it to me that it's sometimes things are said that you you don't want to talk about and right because other people believe in things and uh that, along with the fact that I, I, I just love the, to look in nature and identify patterns, I've always had that as a kind of a skill set since I was a kid. Um, years ago, I was uh, listening to UFO researchers and people at a meeting. I thought it would be something interesting to attend. I had nothing to do that day, and I thought what an eclectic group of people to make, make contact with and talk to. And in discussing things with them, it was revealed to me that there were a majority of reports saying that there were some small gray-like aliens that people were saying that they had sighted or had contact with or had dreams of, quote-unquote. And then there were only one or two individuals that I had met that had said something that didn't quite sound right, and it didn't click with everybody else. They reported seeing something that was humanoid in form, yet had reptilian physiology to it. Mm-hmm. And um, my interest in science 
precluded me from immediately thinking that, you know, anything like this could be real, except for the fact when you start looking at where scientists said the dinosaurs' shape and form would have evolved into if they had not been killed millions of years ago. It was the shape of a man with reptilian features uh, and, of course, differences that you could tell, like much larger shoulder widths, very strong. Uh, they had no hair, scales instead of skin, which were thicker and larger near their chest areas and near areas that required more flexibility in the face and fingers. The scales were very small. And it, these beings were interacting with uh, people. And then when I re looked back historically at what uh, humans had reported seeing and having contact with, we had to look back into the word, words gods. And then you looked at that wealth of symbolism that ha people have spoken about quite vastly on the Internet and such since I first started reporting this. Uh, the, uh, the form seemed to fit that which we've seen historically even in the, the Bible and other earlier works that uh, have influenced religions to this very day. And, have and we, haven't we also seen depictions of these reptilians in Egypt, ancient Egypt, writings as well? Uh, yes, we, yes, yes, we do. But you have to remember um, a lot of symbolism born through uh, that have survived historically as art and imagery um, is born of belief systems that lead back to serpents and, and their reasons for influencing human thinking is perhaps that which we have in our own brain, the reptilian complex, which Paul McLean, a neuroanatomist back in the 1960s said was the most ancient part of the human brain that we owe to our reptilian evolution because prior to mammals, we we're all on this planet reptiles and rooted back in that DNA, just like you know everybody wants to know ancestry and we can feel feelings perhaps of prior lifetimes that even our ancestors had through DNA and we don't explain it, but it's there mystically. Certain Beethoven's playing pianos when they're three or four um, that um, perhaps that imagery has been awoken within earlier generations because of use of um, drugs, hallucinogenics, that open mm -hmm. up the dream time so that you have your dreams and you see these connections leading back historically through your DNA way, way back in time. So when we see this imagery come down historically, we have to recognize that it's there inside us, but also could it be that some of these creatures which Dale Russell, the paleontologist I was telling you about that determined that it would reach human form eventually. Could some of these actually be records of true encounters? And when I started speaking about this years ago, doing lectures across the United States, uh, people started taking interest in authors uh, such as the gentleman from England had um, extrapolated upon uh, my research and, of course, built a wealth of, um, of uh, people or a large population, I think I, uh, somewhere between 5 and 10% of the American population, somewhere in there, um, believe that some aliens here have reptilian form. So, well, haven't they been I, spotted? I, mean, I know 
people have talked about running into them, even in the national parks, that they have bases here, and they've seen them. And some of them have things to report that were are quite unsettling about some of the reptilian race. Right. You know, I, I always tell people, be careful of your interpretations of if they're good or not, because, you know, not all humans being encountered, I hope, by aliens, we would think reflect well on humanity. That would be and terrible. So, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, you know, all, all these guys, all, most early now, of course, you know, we're talking about the early 1990s when I started, you know, ta- researching this and doing and, and giving the lectures um, now. There's so many people on the Internet, it's hard to determine which cases are real or not because there's a lot of imagination going on. And it's not a bad mm-hmm. thing. It's a natural evolution of information evolution. And that's so, how, so what it, you, you know, so information what's your, evolves. What's your take on, on this? I know we're probably talking about more than one type of reptilian race. Yes? Right, right, yes. But we're talking and, about something that, if we were to one day encounter, would could it possibly claim Earth as its original habitation point as just as much as humans? In other words, are they extraterrestrial or are they terrestrials? And if they've yeah, been here think? for how many generations? Well, how many generations of visitors have to stay here on a base before you call them Earthlings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, do exactly. they have rights? Do they have rights? Are they living in certain territories? To what depth? You know, do they have representation? And I think that this year, and we will find out later on, uh, this year, 2020, is one of which um, has brought upon an American revolution, the sorts of which we haven't seen since the country was first formed. That's true. And um, Right, and uh, it... Um, appears that it, we might be leading to some sort of announcement by the government that there are extraterrestrials, but if they fit the serpentine form, you know, you've got a huge reaction amongst some people who are not as educated as we are to that form, and most of them in, in the United States are, are Christians. And so this has been a form that they have always been taught something to be feared. Mm-hmm. That Jesus was That's as wise true, as a serpent John. and as gentle as a dove. But yet there are there are good reptilian races apparently. Right. 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 There are good reptilians, bad reptilians, just like there's good humans and bad humans. Mhm. You know why should it be any different? Why should we be so unique? Where we're the only ones with some form of duality like that seems that's actually there in nature. We see it. They're good animals. Mm-hmm. There are some that just aren't. You don't want to be around because they're vicious. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Well, we ran into a friendly reptilian. We called the commander about four or five years ago. I have to send you a picture. And mm. he was wonderful. I mean, he was very concerned for our welfare. He gave us messages that were of import that actually bore out to be true. Um, but mm-hmm. I could see where if somebody just looked at him, it it might trigger them into some kind of fright. We weren't afraid of him because we felt the good energy and we heard what he had to say and respected the power that he carried. I mean, this is not someone to be trifled with, obviously. I mean, these some of these races probably have a, a lot of uh, technological advancements as well as just their own <clears throat> advanced abilities. So 
Anyway, so we had a right. good experience, but, you know, we've heard of other people, and I'm sure you have too, that have talked about scary things that have gone on with reptilians eating people and things like that. And like you said, who the heck knows if that's true or not? I don't know. Well, I didn't you know, experience there's it. a lot, there's a, there have been, there has been since the 19, uh, well, late, mid-1990s, late 1990s, a propaganda campaign going on to actually vilify the serpent form more than I've ever seen it historically. Really? And how does that, I I think we missed that. Describe that to us. How does that happen? Well, it's because once the idea came out that there might be humanoid reptilians for real, there was such a large reaction amongst the global population that um, the, and it was the information originally uh, learned was shared, but twisted to fit uh, the um, campaign to um, sell the idea that reptilian humanoids are evil and we're victims to all of their doings and have, and, and the, the, whereas if you were an uh, intelligent species up there, you'd be sitting back wondering, sitting on a rock, when are these humans going to take responsibility for what they've done? You know, because it's Definitely. not a matter of them dominating us. It's a matter of a treaty between two species. And it's not so much uh, one might have such advanced knowledge than us or advanced sciences as indifferent. Do we have a treaty with them? Oh, I imagine by now, yes, of course we do. But, you know, not publicly. You know, there's right. a real history and then there's the history they give us. And these are two different histories because a lot of history has been changed and corrupted over the years. So can you tell us something of the real history so we can get a sense of that? Well, um, the real history is that um, the planet seems to go through um, evolutions of its own in which there's great devastations brought upon the planet, either by natural climate mostly by natural climate change, and um, that we've lived in a flat horizon, a little plain, which has allowed us to have constant nice weather for a longer period of time than really the historical records indicate. The ice cores show that there's so much up and down action that really human beings and anybody else out there may not, uh, never has a chance to really evolve, but these disasters happen. So that's where we get this historical stuff talking about ancient civilizations or when the Bible says that God told us to go forth and replenish the earth, meaning it was filled before, but something happens to go fill it again. So this cyclical disaster thing happens. And that's kind of where we're edging along to right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of uh, not a very popular type of outlook because when people are running big businesses and such, they don't want you to think such short-term things like that because you might take your money out of the bank and start actually applying it to things like we found out that we really need, which is when you're stuck at home and there's markets are shut down and stuff like that, what do you do? It's all about preparation. That's part of a secret part of our history. That's why the government started building underground bases and why there's large underground probably cities or civilizations even right now existing under our very feet 
that are told, hey, there's a vacuum space out there, so you don't go out beyond the surface, otherwise you'll be sucked off the planet. That's enough mm-hmm. to keep you locked underground for a long time. And I think that no. they've, these civilizations are still even down there, so we're not the only ones on the planet. No, we definitely are not. And do you, have you had any experience directly with the reptilian race? Um, you know, that's kind of a, a weird question for me because um, I seemed to maybe have a, a, an idea of an encounter and I didn't like to speak to, about it for very many, for, or excuse me, for many years. Yet at the same time, um, I, I admit that, you know, I've had my own encounter type of thing, but I question it because being as the person that kind of put all this together, my mind has been in that direction for so long. I don't think I'd believe anything that I see. <laughs> you okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Because be, I've been exposed to it. My mind's been focused on it for such a long time that, you know, um, I would immediately think it would be influenced by my, what my collective thoughts are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you know, so, and be careful what you, you know, remember. So, <laughs> yes, our memories can be easily corrupted. And so, but let's just get down to brass tacks here because you have so much knowledge about all of this, including the underground facilities. Are reptilians and humans existing together in any of these underground places? Oh, I imagine they are. It's all happening. It's been happening for probably hundreds, if not thousands of years. And what and about yet, Antarctica? It, Do you have any intel on that, on what's going on down there? We've heard lots of stories about Antarctica and finding large aliens there in suspension. Have you heard anything about that? Well, part of my work, early work, was talking about Antarctica as the potential location of the evolution of the first intelligent alien uh, reptilian species, only because... Um, they have uh, the, the, they have found dinosaur bones down in Antarctica, and interestingly enough, in Australia, a, a, a paleontologist was digging along the cliffs and discovered a little reptilian creature, and he opened up his skull and he said, "Wow, here's a huge space inside the head in which you can see that the optical lobes were pressed against, and look how big it is." So he was able to determine that the uh, reptilian species down there had adapted to the long winter months of no light by being able to see much more so than any other creatures or or dinosaurs. And when you think about that, when the Earth was hit with an asteroid that killed off the majority of the dinosaurs, then um, could it be that the ones that were pre-adapted to living in a dark environment, a cold environment, could they have retreated into caves? And when they did, some of the feces that they ate from the planting, the dying plants outside were probably deposited in the cave system. And could that have grown fungus on it that activated a part of their reptilian awakened state of consciousness in which they started retreating deeper into the planet and, and coming out to the surface on occasion? Or, or could they have been deposited here by an even more ancient reptilian race from somewhere beyond the stars? Now, I would imagine that they're quite advanced in many ways, and we've heard a lot about extraterrestrials that are here and that are living here or visiting here, 
and they have the ability to communicate through their mind via telepathy. They also have the ability right. to do mind control on us because we're not right. there with even knowing our own minds, let alone somebody else's. But <laughs> so there's are there, have you found in your research that the reptilians are advanced in those ways and more? Um, I, I think that uh, that may be the case. Um, there's evidence that humans were perhaps even more intelligent in the past, in the ancient past, than we are now. And I think look at our education system, simply we've, in our own hands, we've dumbed ourselves down. And um, there were more things in our brain active because there may have been even a higher oxygen content, you know, available at, at, in ancient times because that's what melting ice and such produces. And... Um, mm-hmm would be beneficial to the thinking state of brain. And um, we also know that there have been, I think the going back to this thing about uh, uh, psilocybins and different types of psychoactive substances that they used at, at long ago with all the tribe, and then when it became scarce, only the medicine men ate it, and then said, oh, come to me and I'll tell you about my visions of God. And that's how you started priesthoods, saying, I'm the direct right. link. Yet in prior times, the majority of us were in a state of consciousness that's more awakened, not something that alcohol or tobacco and all these other types of stimulants do to us, but the ones that they're finding out now, uh, the ethnogeologists and psych- psychiatry uh, fields are just going to bloom as soon as they start recognizing the benefits of um, doing some of the self-help mind control that you can have through these substances. But a lot of it goes back to this reptilian thing. That's why it's better to pet a dinosaur and ride a dinosaur and fly on a dinosaur than fight a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you mind. Exactly. And that's yes. where the church has corrupted us. They made us I scared see. of this thing. There was a part of our subconscious that we were frightened of. I like what you're saying about this. It's very interesting. And so the mm-hmm. reptilian brain, can you tell our audience a little bit about it? I mean, what does it do? We have the you know, different aspects of our brain. That's one of them. So how does, well, what does the reptilian brain do for us? Well, it's, it's, it's connected with reproduction, which is sexuality. That's why ads and, and, and commercials and such use sexuality to get us to buy products because we're, it, it, it's, you know, humans think about it all the time. It's that kind of thing, uh, along with the bonobo, of course, that's unrelated. But um, they're also interested in snakes are very territorial. They have a certain area which is theirs, and that's their territory. So that's instinctual in human beings as well. So all of these things that motivate us on a very subconscious level to the point of where we don't even know, such as your breath, your respiration, all of your heartbeat, all of these are systems run by an ancient part of our brain that sits at the base of our brain is called the reptilian complex. And even advertisers to this very day will look back on the reptilian brain and say, how can we write a commercial that's going to play on these insecurities and things like that that are inherent in the human brain to make them buy our products? And so this is the uh, motivator of sales throughout the planet and um, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it runs us to the point of where even in our own genetics, we, when we see this action of a 
leader standing at a podium or on the news and they spread their fingers out and they start doing this press-up motion, like calm down, calm down. It's like mm-hmm. a push-up, but it's vertical. They put their hands up and down like this. This is actually John, we're losing you a little bit. We, I think you need to just move the, the phone a little closer to your mouth so we can hear you. You keep fading out. Oh, the, sorry. These That's are, okay. These actions, these actions, such as a, a leader pumping his hands up and down, these are actually seen on reptiles in a cage when one of them, the most dominant, will stand on a rock and he'll do this push-up motion and all the others will look up at him and they'll start doing the same thing. And so these parts of this reptilian brain even affect our interactions with, our, with each other socially on a subconscious level, but we don't see it. And we don't recognize it. That's why it's so powerful. That's why the churches vilified it because they wanted us to come to them for their answers, not look within ourselves for our own. Right. They don't want us to be sovereign. You guys resonate with this. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole message, I think, of the revolution right now. Are we sovereign people? Are we going to be owned? Are we going to be slaves? Are we, what are we going to be at the end of the day? Who are we? Uh, and good. so you're bringing up very timely issues here. Great. Yeah, the the outcome of everything you see going on in front of you right now is going to be absolutely excellent. It Just look at it like a play. Don't believe any of it. Just look at it as entertainment. The reason you can see it's entertainment is nobody's going to jail. So well, that's for sure. American that could be part of the play, though. <laughs> well, it's an, it's, a, it's an American revolution like we haven't seen in, in hundreds of years. Yes, it is true. It is true. We, that is the case. I mean, a lot of people talked about this as a civil war. It is not. It's exactly what you're no, saying. This is a revolutionary war. All right, well, yes. everything's breaking down. So, you know, everybody's calling for something new. Yes, yeah. yes. Let me ask you about how the reptilians look in terms of height, because I saw on your website, PK and I were looking at your website, which is reptoids.com, and it you reference several different sizes there. So give us a range of height and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine some of them are pretty strong also. Right. You know, it's just there are small ones, just about as small as the like three to four foot gray creatures that have been created. I mean, they have been uh, uh, seen and reported over the years and have been created for television, um, like in um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, kind of. And then at the same time, they, their size is is to that size. And they, they look very much like the grays. It might even be a hybrid species. Um we also have those that are anywhere from five to six feet tall, but there's more of them that are actually between seven and eight to eight and a half feet tall. And so they look like a, a linebacker with really broad wow. shoulders, and they're very strong, and their square, jaws are square. What is their attitude compared to the, to the smaller species? The, the yeah, bigger we, they we are, are they more aggressive, or are, are they equally so, regardless of size? Um, well, they're as far as power. Yes. And let me let me just ask you to repeat your question again. It was cr- breaking up on my side a little bit. Regardless of size, the the six foot or better, and the smaller ones, 
as far as their abilities? Are they equally so, or are the larger more uh, predominant in overseeing all of the uh, reptiles? Oh, you know, um, well, the, uh, I think just like human beings, there's sometimes you need the big guy, and there's other times the guy, the other guys that are smaller are just as good. You know, okay. um, I don't think I don't think power has anything to do with it. Except when you see the big ones, you know that with a single single swipe they can cut you in half with their claw. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and then the ones who the ones who seem to be in control answer to the appearance of something that looks like a, a seven, six to seven foot tall uh, being that's reptilian in form that actually looks like it's wearing a cape at time, but when it stretches out its cape, they're actually wings. And these guys are called the Draco, and there's fewer of them. And there's, on occasion, there will be one that's an albino, and they seem to have the dominance in any situation. So it seems like there's a caste system based on appearance. We have our own caste system based on wealth. But <laughs> yeah, now, they uh-huh. have one based on appearance, and then we've also heard a lot of stories, John, about the fact that they can shapeshift. Is that true? They can make themselves look like humans. Um, I think that's been greatly over-exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that there's a lot of people who like to vilify people in the news and other individuals, that the public individuals that they say are reptilian humanoid to do, generate fear. Um, mm-hmm. And that these uh, guys uh, um, that um, dominate the fear of the whole situation end up dominating the whole situation because fear is what controls everybody. Well, I heard from a musician, I can't think of his name right now, but he provided a very credible experience that he was sitting with someone in the music industry. It was an executive. It wasn't another musician. And he said this guy shapeshifted right in front of him, and he was he was just visibly shaken up by the whole experience years later. Uh, so... I don't know. I mean, that that sounded like that could have happened. It looked like he was credible and that he had something happen that really terrified him because he saw uh, something change form. So I was just wondering if that is, in fact, a a possibility, if it's one of their powers that they have. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it was reported that that way. I think that can happen. Um, I think that they are uh, they can come in a form that's not entirely physical and hard and materialized, and they can materialize out of a phase state in which they're actually walking around us, but we cannot see them mm-hmm. because I've heard of people having contacts where the reptilian has reached down to what appeared to be a belt or some sort of button on his belt, and when he pressed it, he just simply disappeared. But prior to that, he was semi-translucent where you could actually see the cabinet on the other side of him during the contact. So there's now, some that I think that can actually shapeshift in and out. Um, the, the ones you see on television or people have on the Internet that show their eyes looking vertical, um, my work in the entertainment industry, specifically in edi- editing as well, 
um, there are times when you can put two bright lights either side of a person sitting in front of a camera and it squeezes out the black areas that would otherwise round out the pupil. So what you'd get is this vertical-looking black slit. Mm-hmm. And we have to avoid right. that in camera work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a natural right. thing on the camera. So, of course, all, all of this happens. Um, the shape-shifting, I think, is perhaps also when somebody gets a feeling inside themselves. Remember, there's children. There's eidetic memory is something that children use when they can make their little playland set come alive in their minds. And this has been well documented. And um, I think when we grow up into adults that we still have those times in which we can sense something and that interior sensation will let us know there's something perhaps untrustworthy about this person or Mm -hmm. that we feel that this person is, we're relating to them on some deeper level that's beyond and even more ancient than humans. Remember, we were reptiles before we were mammals, so we recognize each other at times like that and not in a fearful way. So this is very confusing for people to experience. Yeah, I would imagine it is for a number of reasons, no question about it. So you are also very familiar with other types of alien encounters, the hollow earth and secret government technologies that are subsurface. So what's new and interesting that you can share with us about any of those topics? We love to just hear new things about what's going on in this field and what you're uncovering in your research. Well, there seems to be a continuing growth of underground um, spaces being opened up all around the countries, in different countries. And this is perhaps even spurred on by the pandemic because governments are looking for a a way to, uh, to survive if something happens on the surface where they can have their own population representation survive some sort of catalyst. Um, this is like Cheyenne Mountain shutting its doors. Uh, right. Which, and there are communities across the United States in which there are a high number of retired people from intelligence communities and aerospace and such that settle down. And one spies on the other in case you know, somebody gets dementia, they can kind of have you know deal with that on a national security level rather than having everybody talking. And if people are talking, they tend to talk to others with classified security clearances. So you start looking at these communities pop up around the United States, and you have to wonder when we have all these new politicians coming in and the old ones going out, or we were actually seeing our politicians retreat to somewhere safer before something happens. Yes. Yeah, you which know, is, you know, that's we, it's kind of stinky because they get to protect themselves and they know it's coming and we don't, and we're stuck above ground. <laughs> it's not very fair. <laughs> well, hey, listen, the Hopi did the same thing. You know, they, they said that the snake, their elderly snake brothers um, uh, came down, uh, came up and took some of them down with the ant people, where they stayed with the ant people, they called them. And when you hear of the Hopis talk of the ant people, these are creatures that look like the little greys, the, the you know, skinny arms with big eyes and bulbous heads and stuff. That looks like an ant to me if I saw it crawl up from the underground. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that uh, these ancient cultures, when they say that these devastations happened, uh, they sought the refuge of the underground. Um, but they said, really, only the spiritual ones actually made it because 
they were listening to their inner voice of where to retreat to. And for the Hopis, it was down a hole in the ground called the Sipapuni, and this is where the spider woman had led their prior civilizations to the surface when they first inhabited Earth's surface, and like the primordial tribes. Gosh, so we have quite a history here with the aliens that you're discussing with us. And, you know, here's another question for you. The Greys have a big reputation for doing genetic manipulation and abducting people, taking them to their ships, and doing all kinds of things to them. What about the reptilians? Do they also have their own genetic lab going on with us as the subjects? Oh, I'm sure they do, just like we do with some of theirs. You know, we have them as a subject, too. I mean, it's just scientific pursuit. They don't think of it as good and bad and, and who's collecting what. They think of it as a scientific pursuit. You know, you can get a lot of scientists to justify what they're doing. It might be horrifying for the animal itself, but we still even condone it. For And I think it's cruel to the animals, but they still, oh, definitely. you yeah. know, terrorize animals for industry here in our Horrible. in our civilized world. But you're saying we also do that to them. Our government, our secret well, government, think, is doing this to them. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure of it. We had to have. We had to have grabbed one and cut him apart and had a look inside him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be. They would think of that as national security. Yeah, they I mean, would think, think about that it. Way. They'd have Absolutely. to at least study one, not take the word of them. They would most likely. We're talking about the military. You know, that's not necessarily the work that we want to hear about. But I'm sure they do it because they'd have to know what that being looked like inside out so they could develop weapons against it or get to know what its muscle systems and its weaknesses are and how its eyes look. Yeah, the whole thing's quite adversarial, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, and there's no justification security, really on either security. side, except, again, you're saying that there's a theme running through here. It's like we're so terrified of each other that this is the kind of thing we do. So that does make that part makes sense, definitely. Well, for for a, for a younger civilization like us, when you're looking at more ancient civilizations, just like we go into the, you know, to some of the jungles and we have encounters with civilizations that have never even seen us before, you know, they're the ones usually more damaged. I think the Brookings Institute report back done back in the 1950s had said or 60s had said uh, that this was the key thing that would damage industry they said the most damaged part of industry human industry would be its mechanical and engineering fields because they would suddenly come to a stop thinking why pursue anything further when we could have the answer any minute and then there's a loss of interest there i think childhood's end arthur c clark wrote a book about that talking about what a dismal state of affairs when these young older tribes who have never come out of the jungles and they meet us advanced people, how they suffer. And so the the observation of the report in the end was that we would suffer if such contact were made. But I think we're at a new time now. I think that what we're seeing now with all the information coming out and with what's happening now, right now during our second American revolution, I call it Revolution Two, that um, we're actually uh, being prepared for contact because there's going to be some sort of a, consciousness jolting event that they're going to try and perhaps use in order to make us think of each other and all these countries trying to come together instead of, oh, we're just going to take down the walls. That doesn't do much. 
There's a fine line here between a one world government run by elitists and us all coming together. They're two kind of right. different things. Um, yeah. You know, if you're, if, if, okay, so if they suddenly say there's an ancient civilization or there's others out there, they might all, the other civilizations or the advanced aliens might say, hey, we can't talk to you as separate countries. You can't even get your own act together. You know, you'd be arguing for weeks. We need one representation. And I think that's the pickle that the world found itself in many, many years ago. And that's why our secret governments first formed the, you know, Earth Alliance, which basically I'm just saying it's, it's a group of people that are government, are governments representing all major governments that act industrially and cooperatively in shaping history and our destination with technologies. You know, they run the show. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, I mean, know, but you get what we're saying here. I mean, I, PK and I have talked a lot about this, and, and especially with our predictors that have been on the show over the last six months. You know, it's like, what are we headed for? Now, it all sounds real nice and kumbaya. We're all going to be under, you know, just one one world government. But you have to question this a little bit, too, in terms of Earth who is you changing. think is going to be Earth in charge. Changing. Right. Earth is changing because of climate patterns. You can't. It cannot be denied. The argument, who cares about the argument? That's just a distraction from the next question, which is what do we do next to prepare? So this nation needs to be invigorated politically and in a community-wise in order to try and uplift people down near the lower elevations along the coast because those areas are going to be flooded soon. Yeah, and I know Edgar Casey did predict that, that we're going to have a a very different-looking coastline (laughs) before Mm -hmm. too long. So, yeah, I mean, definitely the Earth's going through a lot of changes. We're going through a lot of changes. And who knows what's going to be coming out the other side. And, right. uh, yeah, I mean, we've even heard predictions that there's going to be some type of an alien invasion that's hostile, which I really hope doesn't happen. That would be well, rather you know, counterproductive. The, it, well, the, disc, the, the scary part is is that well, I saw a program once in which Gorbachev was being interviewed on a stage with um, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the former president of the Soviet Union, and um, I think it was uh, George Schultz was there. And uh, George Schultz and he were reminiscing about Ronald Reagan. And uh, it was um, the former uh, head of the Soviet Union, Gorbachev, said, let me tell you a story. He says, when we were in, Gor- in, in Iceland, he said, remember when we said we just want to go down to the, to the boathouse here to talk for a moment, and we had dismissed our security and Schultz goes, yes, and he goes, Ronald Reagan and I walked down there. And he says, Ronald Reagan asked me, he said, what would you do if the United States were attacked by an alien species? And the, the crowd chuckled. And he waves his hand. He goes, no, no, seriously. And he says, my answer to Ronald Reagan was, oh, we would mutually defend you. And Ronald Reagan's response was, oh, I was hoping that was going to be your answer. Mm-hmm. So it may not be just the one country that may be the target or the whole world that may be a target, maybe just one country. You know, so we've got to think about these things. And we've got to think about how when alien life or a, a, an unknown species of visiting Earth, what, what exactly are their intentions? Because we don't really kind of trust 
our government to give us the answers, can they give us the answer directly in some way? Yeah, and that's part of the problem, I think, with all of this, is that we don't have the information. So either the, uh, you know, the government has it or the shadow government has it or somebody has it somewhere. We don't have access to it. We have our own experiences, and we can live with that. You have your research. However, there's no co-op- there hasn't been any cooperation, really, between us as a population on the planet and the people that do have access to the technologies that I think could help clean up the planet, could help create better health care. You know, all of that's been hidden from us. It's not because that's what we wanted. We wanted that out in the open for forever. But the uh, government the, the has research, their way of handling I've, I've this, and my, it's not open. Well, I've seen myself uh, over the mountains, Sierra Mountains of California one night. The horses were going kind of crazy. I heard the dogs go in and out of the house, and I walked outside, and I looked up. I couldn't see any stars, and I think, I was thinking, what are they getting all excited about? And it was at that point I looked up, and I could see the stars were being revealed as if a black curtain was being pulled over my head. And way up in the sky, I saw this large triangular object. It had to be the size of perhaps one or two aircraft carriers, and it was a triangle shape. That's enormous. And I could see it had three engines on the back, and right up on the skin of it, it seemed to have indentations that would otherwise indicate that that might be some sort of a ladder built into the skin in case they had to set down somewhere so somebody can get up to the top or something. And um, I thought to myself, God, I said, I suddenly felt, first of all, I felt patriotic. I was thinking, only in America, you know, this has got to belong to us. Uh, all right, you know, because I couldn't imagine. I think the aliens would do, have been doing something quite different in my mind anyway. So, um, and then I, 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 um, I realized at that point that, hey, if we have this kind of technology that can act as like cargo containers working secret operations all around the United States, then why can't we apply this to medical stuff? Why can't we have the ambulances that will go fly to people and lift them out all of a sudden? Where was all this anti-gravity technology where we could do away with oil-polluting uh, products? and dependencies on oils. In other words, these technologies and these things couldn't change the planet, but it's a matter of the people in control. Are they willing to give it to us or not? That's been the question, and obviously they have not been. And part of the the reason, if not the whole thing, is is greed. And the, the economy would fail is what they say. But it's it, would it? I mean, I think there are ways to, to create uh, a whole different level of balance with all of this. And... It's just so frustrating for all of us who know that all of this is very, very real, that there are a number of species here from other planets. There are multidimensional beings here. There's just a whole host of things. And it would be nice if we could speak with people who have this knowledge and have locked these files away and, and get some of this out here. I mean, the CIA apparently just released more uh, more files. However, they're highly redacted. So what are you supposed to do with this? You have to infer what the heck they're talking about. Again, it's really, it's, it's really not helpful. It's like, what are you doing? Why don't you just give us the unredacted files? So for so long, well, they've been so big on, on telling us none of this was real, we were all nuts. 
now they they're letting it out piece by piece. Dead. Yeah, usually Pardon they want to wait until everybody's dead that was involved, and then they'll <laughs> open up files. <laughs> because they don't want to hold anybody responsible. Yeah, maybe that's um, it, too. Uh, yeah, they got a lot of explaining to do. Uh, they sure do. Yeah. And it's just, it's the whole thing to me strikes me as very, very unfair. When there is so much to be learned, there are those special people that are contacted by extraterrestrials or multidimensionals or whatever, and they have, some of them have really profound experiences that they go on to share with the rest of us. It just seems yeah, like you know, the whole thing is being be very matter, limited. It's going to be a matter of time before UFOs show up over Washington, D.C. again, and when you finally see what they're going through now and they abandon the city and they want to move their capital, get ready to move to Denver. Why oh, Denver? Wow. Um, Denver? Denver is the middle of the United States, more or less geographically. It's with at least by rail lines, and that's when was first thought of to be a backup U.S. capital. I'll be I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, invest in real estate, ladies. I'll really? be darned. Mm-hmm. Huh. So you think that you that's a possibility see, to, to change the capital? Why? Well, there was, you know, during World War II, they started thinking, God, you know, if the Germans come over here and they've only got a short hop as far as they hit England and take over, then we, you know, we got to get... Uh, another capital that's further inland because it's too close to the waterways where submarines can come up. It's too close to the ocean for invasion. So we got to move it inland. And so there were a lot of states that vied for, you know, being the ones that did it. And I'm just saying that I've got my, my bets on, on Denver. Hmm. Interesting. It's Colorado, Colorado NORAD is. It's where the Air Force, uh, I think Air Force Academy is. Right. I think they just moved to the, the um, one of the departments. Of Certainly Navy got a lot department. more. Uh, Bureau of Land Management, I think, got yep. moved there. Western Division. They have more federal so, offices in Denver. Right now, they have more federal offices in Denver right now than um, most other states do outside the capital, the existing capital back in Washington. Okay, so we have to buy our property there next. All right. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's oh, my yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's my it is. High City. Oh, that was gorgeous. Of course, I yeah. say that in more than one way, you know. It's where they had Proposition 64 pass, you know, Mile High hey. City. There you go. There you go. There you go. So what <laughs> what are your thoughts then, John, on disclosure? You seem to think that there will be something happening around this soon. Well, I, you know, I, I'm, I've always been a little concerned about the potential for people to to use the fear of the reptilian image to try and say it has to do with the apocalypse, you know, and, and kind of generate a lot of religious fever that direction in order to propel us into, you know, kind of defending ourselves or creating an armada that might protect us from something coming here. You know, it's very much like, you know, very like much like the movies, you know, but not so much unlike my mother, when she was young, went down when the war started, World War II, and she was one of those, you know, rip, Rosie the Riveters, you know, riveting mm-hmm. bolts into B-17 bombers and stuff. And these gals did it patriotically. You know, the people will suddenly change, stop thinking about uh, all of this horror going around them if they suddenly get focused on one thing. Yeah, and I think usually that's a the fear of, of a battle would do that. Mm-hmm. 
that usually does it. But, again, I, I also can appreciate what you're saying, that you don't want to see the reptilian race demonized in the process of this either and seen as an enemy. Oh, well, everybody it may not should be. be held accountable. Why? Right. Everybody should be held accountable equally. You know, if, if we shouldn't demonize them because, you know, there's things they can justify, just as our government can justify some of the really horrible things they've done. You know, so, and they do. Um, yeah. Well, they do. Every group is going to do that. Every animal group is going to say, hey, hey, we had a reason for doing this. You just don't see well, it right there's, now. There's so many different races of extraterrestrials here. I mean, we just had Craig Campavasso on the show last week with his book talking about the different races. And there's a variety. It's it's quite fascinating how many are here right now. Yeah, you know, from my research, it looks like maybe originally – this was a planet dominated by the reptilians. Mm-hmm. And the, many years ago, there was a battle and that ruined and destroyed the atmosphere of Mars. And um, that the remnants of the Martian civilization that were more human-looking came here in small representations to this planet. And they were allowed here as refugees, but they were used to a slave race back on Mars. And when they came here, they looked at some little monkey guys and they looked at some of the reptilian stuff and they genetically created themselves humans and to do the slave work and um, and then some reptilians that were here didn't like that because they once sat down underneath a tree and ate a magic mushroom with a human couple and they started to go out talking by a fireside or something and, and the human got awoken and no longer was it just this stupid slave it mm-hmm. questioned its orders and for right, that, was, some sort of a dominant male god came down, the one of the Old Testament, and said, hey, you guys shouldn't have done that. I told you, don't hang out with each other. Remember, the real Jewish traditions and their more ancient Haggadah texts speak of the reptilian or the serpent in the Garden of Eden as having two legs upon which it stood with two arms and was as tall as a camel and at one time actually chased Adam through the woods. Or the jungle. Well, that certainly sounds like the reptoids that you've described. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. What's their, what's their lifespan also? Is it long? No, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would think it would probably be longer than ours. I don't know why it's yeah. not, but I do. I would imagine it would. You know, but also we've got to think about the antiquity of some of the human gods that we've been rep- that have been reported. Remember, I was talking to you about Mars, and how these more human types came down here. There's supposedly ancient man that actually was had a longer lifespan than we can possibly imagine, like back in the times of Noah. And so um, that's reported. Um, and then um, and with the reptilians, we've got some turtles that are hundreds of years old, as far as I can remember. So some of the ancient reptile species can live, or some of the reptile species can be quite old. And um, when they set up shop here, you know, these Marsmen guy, guys kind of used the image of the dove, but they were warriors. They built up a, a warring community on the planet, on the surface, and the serpent people were made to go underground. And they were told not to come up until they say God returns. And at that time, you know, we'll be judged. So, so a lot of people feel that these are the kind of times we're looking forward to, but not in the terms of gods, but in aliens. And their battles over us. 
Well, this will be interesting to see. I mean, I know we've all been wanting more from the government in terms of releasing the information that they have, but whether or not that's ever going to happen, I don't know. I don't see it's to their advantage to release it. Maybe to the advantage of the aliens to release it. So we'll we'll just have to sit back and again well, you know, get that, the popcorn. Right? You know, is will there be a day in which everybody looks up in the sky and no matter where they're living, they're going to see crafts so large that are thousands of miles wide that they can look up and see the craft so it's no longer a secret anymore? Wouldn't you that know, be there's, great? There's a, that would be nice, well, wouldn't right. it? <laughs> Nobody can deny it after that. Everybody walk out. We're in favor of it. We really are and see it as a benefit. Now, <clears throat> yeah, I think I it, think so too, you know. Let me ask you this we need about to have, we need to have personal, hope in some way. Yeah, exactly. It's like Star Trek gave us hope way back when. Right. Uh with reptilians, I had a question here for you about and I just lost I just lost my train of thought. But <clears throat> there was a question there. <laughs> See if it comes back to me about uh, reptilians. Let's see. I need my special light that stimulates my brain. Um, you know, there's, there's another thing. I'll, while remembering your question, I'll just throw something in here, which is a subject I don't talk about too often, but it's something that should be spoken of because it's kind of cool, which is that, um, uh, you know, you – you think of these women who have reported sexual encounters with reptilian humanoids, and this yes, is some of the real that. right. And 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 I I think that a lot of this uh, is stimulated because what these women are having are actual um, internalized uh, Kundalini action that results in a female reaching orgasm at the time of embracing the symbol of the serpent, and. Um, because the be. motions of the energies entwining the spine from the base up, which is the genital area up through the back and um, up your spine towards your brain, can be perceived as two serpents, twine serpents, duality energy, chasing each other or following each other around the spine until it reaches the base of your brain. And when this happens, there's a buildup of energy that exists and uh, because of the stimulation of the lower chakra in the red region down in the lower parts of your body, this uh, brings about a, a reptilian image at the same time as when there's a, a, um, the result of having an orgasm. And so th- these things happen, and at the same time you hear women talking about something was here, had a reptilian form, and it wasn't pleasant, and it felt intrusive. And I think that just as our soldiers may have mishandled people through the times when we've had wars, what they've done to female women, I mean, through the years, that actually some of these soldiers that come down with these scientists, they might too also get grabby and they might do things in which aren't even allowed by their superiors. And that Mm -hmm. can bring on very traumatizing experiences. Yeah. And it could very well be a Kundalini experience. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It it could be. Yeah, yeah, and but, that's why uh, I thought I'm of my question. Okay, I've got my I, question I, here. I, Let me ask oh, you before okay, I cool. forget it again. <laughs> Go have for it, you quick. interviewed any other people who have had experiences with, with reptilians? And I'm not talking about the sexual ones, but I'm talking about just an experience with a reptilian, either aboard a craft or in their underground habitat. I mean, have you talked to anybody who can give you some? 
information about what that's like. Um, I, I'll, I'll recall the case of a friend of mine who recently passed. His name was Tal, and he was the he was the person that sometimes you'll see these underground tunnel maps with underground bases on it, and it's in color, and it says the word Tal on it, decoratively drawn. He, he was the uh, researcher who came up with the map and put that on the Internet. Um, when he, during the 1980s, he was in Santa Fe at his house, and one night he woke up. And when he looked to the foot of his bed, he said there was a six to seven foot tall reptilian humanoid with translucent. I could see my cabinet on the other side of him. I picked up an object and threw it because I thought, oh, my God, I'm having a vision. What do I do? I'll just throw this at it and make it go away. And it went through him, and he didn't have any kind of a, a response. Nothing in its eyes or anything responded. It was just emotionless. And then he said um, that it turned around from him and then looked at a map on his wall, and he could see this map that had been being compiled with string and pins uh, connecting potential underground bases, and that's how he made the map. And then it looked back at him, and he says there was, uh, he says it was really strange. He said everything in my mind kind of went. Uh, he says, I looked at him, and out of his forehead, I could see some, something glowing. What is that? And he says and all of a sudden it got bigger, and I didn't realize it, but it was actually. It was frac. It was like a ge- geometric, different colors of geometry fixed together and spinning sh- and changing shapes, and it was moving towards. It, it was getting bigger, and it was then he realized it was moving towards him because he said he stepped aside and looked at it, and he could see this thing projecting from his head a little bit, and he says it came towards his head, and as soon as it reached his head, he his mind more or less blacked out, and when he woke up. He said the thing was still there, so he couldn't have been out for long. And he said it, and it turned and looked away and then down the hallway, and then it reached down to its belt and pressed a button and then simply dissolved beyond his ability to see it anymore. Now, there was other eyewitnesses that I've spoken to that were actually a couple that were sleeping in the living room of his place, and they were sleeping in sleeping bags on the floor. And the woman saw told me she saw something come out of his room after she had had blood taken from her in the living room. And she said there were three. There was one like just stood there watching guard and watching everything, and the other two were taking action. And, she, and they said the next morning they could actually see footprints that were large in the carpeting indented right into the pad like something heavy had sat down, like a piece of furniture, you know. And um, he, uh, since that time... Uh, shortly after that, he said he was infused with the he was infused with the interest of optics and optical fibers and fiber optics and lasers. And he said he 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 didn't even have the background knowledge, but he went down to a place a school and said, "Hey, I'd like to get in your class for fiber optics because I'd like to be one of these guys at a concert, you know, that does the fiber optics stuff and uses lasers and stuff." So they said, "Well." You can't. You don't really have a background in it. And our class starts just day after tomorrow. And he says, just give me the test. The guy said, look, if you can pass the test, I'll give you another class. So he took the test. He aced the test. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a background knowledge in it. And it was at that point it really struck him 
that something was wrong. It was like he felt like he was infused with knowledge he shouldn't rightfully have, and that something's trying to guide him down a path of potentially what, getting into a job with government work and military work using lasers and stuff like that. Who knows? And so he felt like he was being used, and he didn't like it because he felt the, the, the goal of it was intrusive and manipulative. And so he didn't, he didn't um, care for the encounter. In addition to that, he, I forgot to tell you, when he was trying to make it go away before he threw the object, he said he did the, um, he did the closing of the circle hand sign in front of him like a magician makes at the end of the ceremony to tell the creature to get out of the sacred space. That right, didn't work so either. it was like a banishment. Mm-hmm. Right, like a banishment, and then didn't work either. So for him, the whole thing was just negative and intrusive. That's too bad. Especially because coming it sounds... I don't know. I mean, it sounds to me like he was given a gift of knowledge and information, and he just decided to throw it away. Well, you know, I think I think that um, in the end he may have used it for other purposes, you know. But um, uh, I um, I think it was more or less he di- he never liked any. It was the kind of a person that never liked anybody telling them what to do. <laughs> okay. So it was this kind of attitude of his. Mm-hmm. Hey, if it's wanting me to do it, I'm not going to do it. I'll do things of my own volition, not just something done to me in the middle of the night without my, you know, my approval or my knowledge of it. That's kind of wrong. Something should come to me and say, hey, how about doing this? And I might say, yeah, put it on me. Well, what we've heard is that they can't do it without your permission, but they may attain it on, you know, another level, like through a dreaming oh, just- mind experience. So people don't even realize yeah, or even a tra- Or even a childhood agreement. You know, when children are entertaining fairies and things that they don't know are real or not, and if they see aliens, we've heard reports of this, kids are not threatened by them. Right. These guys said, hey, can I I take you somewhere and show you or do some things to you? And it's good. And they'll go, oh, okay. And for them, that's a lifetime contract. They just Mm -hmm. sign because you said, oh, okay. But my God, they may not recognize it's just a child saying, I'll go with you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no difference. There's no age that that uh, is required in giving permission. That's for sure. Yeah, no, we're you ageless. We're ageless. You don't think of the contracts being lifetime either. Well, it might be multiple lifetime. I think that the real alien species. I think that the reptilians are way beyond science at this point. I think they're actually pursuing where where we go after we die, and things like that. I mean, you know, the super paranormal stuff. Not just a matter of how fast can you get there and what can you, because what, when you've achieved everything in your advanced species, where else can you go except inwards next? And really, death is the next doorway. I wouldn't be surprised if aliens make contact with us, and guess what? They've already made contact with the area where we go when we die. They have a telephone set up. Yeah. What do they think of you know? <laughs> these reptoids, John? What do they think just, of people? Well, we're violent. Yes, than yeah. us. The propaganda campaign, making us afraid of them, is a propaganda campaign campaign that works to their benefit for sure. But we're inherently just we're just a bunch of violent animals because we've bre- been bred to be that way. Most of the world's, world's economies are based on war and death. You know, we're an aggressive species. We still eat animals when there's other substitutes. Why? Why continue animal cruelty? It should end. I hope that that's what Arthur C. Clarke said. He said, "When the aliens land." And by the way, Arthur C. Clarke in Childhood's End, he described the aliens saying they looked akin to the devil as, as classically described. Well, you yeah, can imagine what that is. Did. 
With a short <laughs> tail, he said. Right, and he wow. doesn't expand more than that. You know, and he and he said um, uh, uh, when that day comes, he says it's childhood's end. It's the end of our kind of age of innocence, and it's when we come to full awakening. And I think we're on the crest of that now. Wow. This is an exciting time to be alive, as, as frustrating and stressful as it can be. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. And we're favored because we have food on our tables for now. We have toilet paper on the shelves for now. We have, the moment. You know. Right. And you look at the rest of the world, it's filled with suffering. Well, you know, could it be some... that the people that run the planet have, have long been convinced themselves there's going to be a time, point in time in which we're going to turn the tides and we don't care who's in control because we're going to make it a better place. And it's not going to be without the, the uh, painful episodes, you know, during like American revolutions and such. Just think of it like a woman having a baby. She screams her husband's name. Damn you, you did this to me, all this screaming. <laughs> it's horrible. But then out of that comes this beautiful baby. And I think we're, we're, we're just about there. Mm-hmm. So have faith. Sit back. Don't get stressed out. Watch the entertainment. <laughs> Yes, we are watching. We're watching it closely. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to talk about these types of things. Now, with the reptilians, are there any special ships that are affiliated with this reptoid race? I know there's a whole bunch of UFOs out there. They all look different. Any that are uh, affiliated with the reptoids? I, I've, you know, I'm not exactly sure. There's all these there's all these reports through the years that, of course, are a mix of real reports and made-up reports, and it's hard to delineate which because everybody's intentions are okay, you know. But um, I think that some of the ones that appear as, as, as saucers may actually be something from our planet uh, and also a technology that we've also adapted uh, since the Avro car and those guys, you know, the early world, uh, later World War II efforts that went dark. But um, the saucers seem to be the classic ones associated with the reptilian humanoids. And also saucers that on the bottoms of them, it's like a tile work that's actually pixels of a screen. And they can show you anything under the entire body of the craft, including video. Wow. It's like you're looking at a TV screen. So they can also cloak their ships. They can cloak their well. It's this plasma, like a plasma screen. They can cloak their ships, you know, just by, you know, seeing what's on top. So you have an eye on top, or you have, you know, two-way tunnel between one side and the other, and it just reflects what it sees. So, you know, but they're, they're coming up with that technologies more and more. I had a friend that that friend of, uh, uh, that I had, whose name was Tal. His father um, worked with the government, you know, designing and building things, and he was exposed to what appeared to be a high-definition TV that um, was uh, 3D color and it used no glasses. And he saw this back in the early 1960s. And before he died, he said, can you imagine, even though I'm about to die, they still haven't brought that out to the public. You still need those stupid glasses. No kidding. Well, John, we've we've got about five or six minutes left, and I do want to ask you about other types of cryptids because I'm not sure what other ones you may have uh, investigated or know about, like Mothman, Bigfoot, Dogman, any of those that you have uh, run into <laughs> or found out about? Uh, 
Well, just general knowledge, you know, um, I believe that there's a hominid species resembling Bigfoot that exists on the planet. Just as there are reptoids, there are also hairy hominids that are from the interior of our planet. You know, everything's sought shelter underground. And I think that's a fascinating thing. Remember, we've scientists say that, you know, even though there is very few large mammals discovered, overall, we've only discovered about what's estimated to be about 15% of all life on the planet. That means that 85% of other life forms that they think exist out there, we haven't even seen to take a picture of or write, write anything about in a book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, that's where we have the world of imagination is open. We have 85% of lives that we haven't even made contact with. Could there other, be other life forms out there? Could there be an insectoid that reached intelligence? Could there be a dinosaur that reached intelligence? Could there be an ant of some sort of ant form that reached intelligence? Is this a natural thing that occurs within animal species eventually in a small group of them break away to be called what we call now aliens? Could past civilizations who have been wiped off the the surface of the earth, could their representatives underground have come into contact with deeper cultures and themselves acquired, you know, a UFO objects to fly around the earth and watch what's going on while not trying to be perceived. You know, they may be ancestors of ours that we now call aliens. Mm-hmm. Even a fishbowl. Yes. Yeah. What about Mothman? Do you know anything about Mothman? Uh, I do. Um, it, it, you know, to me, when I first heard Mothman, I got the feeling that it was a Draco being flying with his wings and then he was lowering his head looking down and that might appear like his red glowing eyes, which they've been known to have, could have been appearing like they were in his chest when he was just looking down at them from a height. And um, when the bridge crashed out there and all those people died, um, it was drawn to that location as if a portal was opened up because when a lot of, when a person dies in a house, you know, there's a portal that opens up that has to heal itself between our two worlds. And and during that time, things can pop in and pop out. And I think that um, with a, a, an event that was going to occur, like the bridge collapsing, just like 9-11, there were people who sensed something catastrophic had happened, but nothing had. And I think that the adrenaline running through people's minds or beings' minds when a large cataclysm happens is so terrifying that itself it drives the psychic power up and it pumps that imagery back in time. Hmm. So that in the past they can see that something's actually coming, but it was actually projected by the victims. And, and with as many people that died out there with the bridge collapse, that opening allowed that, that Draco to move back and forth and interact and, of course, with the local community. And over time, it heals shut. So I can go, Buster, send it back to the portal, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, Mothman's one of our favorites. It's been an interesting story for a lot of reasons, but one in particular, there's never, in my opinion, and at least my, my own research on this, nobody's ever been hurt by Mothman. And there's been a lot of speculation, did Mothman cause the bridge collapse? But that doesn't seem to add up, especially since they did find a structural issue that had long gone uh, unattended. So it's just an, an interesting creature, and from where, hey, we don't know. It could, 
he could have been living around there and it, the bridge itself might have been living out high frequency, you know, pitches because it was snapping and getting ready to break that only he could hear like a dog hearing a whistle and it annoyed him and he came out and looked around, you know, it could have been anything. Yeah, that's, a, you know, that's quite possible. <laughs> yeah. That's a good theory. Yes, quite possible. Indeed. Now, John, I know, I, I know, somebody... I'd be, I know, I'd be out looking around if I couldn't get any sleep. Right. <laughs> 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 What's causing this? Oh, would it please right. stop? Yes, yes, exactly. Now, John, if people have uh, stories of their own encounters, would you like them to co- contact you via your website? Oh, they can send an email through the website, and you're more than welcome. It hasn't changed in many years. The website. Uh, I'll be going through some changes soon in the upcoming. Months, uh, bringing out some fresh, fresh, brand new stuff that's unrelated to this, but something just as remarkable. I hopefully we'll have everybody, have everybody in the world talking. Gosh, well then you got to come back on our show. Oh sure, at some point in time, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, when delight. you get that up and running, make sure to let us know. We'd love to have you back. That would be nice to hear about something brand new and to get everybody talking. That would be great. And thank you so much for your time tonight and allowing me to speak out to all your audience. Well, we've well, enjoyed gosh, having we, you so much. Yes, Excellent. you have such such a unique perspective on everything, John, and it's great. It's, it's really been great hearing from you this evening. So thanks well, again. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. We will be back with another great show. We have Jeff Harmon coming in. He's going to talk about what's next and also... We're going to take a look at a chart he did on Jeffrey Epstein. It's going to be a real, real exciting show. It's just, it never stops here at Supernatural Girls. So, anyways, everybody, until next week, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everybody. Good night. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.